Had we been there, been there on that Friday long ago, either hiding with the disciples who had abandoned Jesus or even standing with his mother and John at the foot of the cross, I don't think the word good would have ever crossed our minds. What was good about the events of that Friday? What was good about a truly innocent man being unjustly condemned to die and then executed on an excruciating torture tool known as the cross? You see, the man Jesus was truly innocent, innocent in every possible way. And Pilate, the Roman governor, he knew this. That's why he said three different times, as we heard this evening, I find no guilt in him. And yet, under political pressure, Pilate sentenced Jesus to die and delivered him over to the Jewish leaders to be crucified. Where's the goodness, the justice in that? The truth is, the historical events of that Friday long ago were anything but good. Rather, they were horrible, awful, unimaginable, and filled with hopelessness. That Friday was a day of darkness, disappointment, and despair, especially for Jesus' disciples who were now forced to rethink everything, everything that they dreamed and hoped Jesus would accomplish, to see their Messiah mocked, their Savior suffering, and their King crucified, drove a death nail in their hopes for rescue and redemption. We can imagine them thinking, How could he who filled a wedding with wine and spoke of ever-living waters now be emptied of life? How could he who healed so many now hang on a cross? How could he who had given life to the dead now die? From their perspective, once Jesus breathed his last, goodness itself was gone from the world because he was gone. Because he was now dead, all that remained in their minds, was darkness and dread. For if the truly innocent one is unjustly slaughtered, then what remains for us who aren't so innocent? What's left but to simply cope in a dark world filled with pain and perplexity, tragedy and tombs? In trying to grasp what Jesus' followers must have felt on that Friday, I can't help but wonder If the real question on their minds is, where's God in all this? In the face of Jesus' unjust execution, they must have wondered, has God's faithfulness failed? Have his promises faltered? Has his love come to an end? And we'd be fooling ourselves if we said that these same sorts of questions have never crossed our minds or even passed over our lips. We know they have. In the face of the brokenness of our lives and the brutality of the world, we've asked similar questions. It's possible that some of you even tonight are asking these sorts of questions as you hear this old story again. But you see, that's the very reason we need to hear this old story afresh. Because as Christians, we confess, as strange as it sounds, that the horror of that Friday was indeed good. Good because our good God was right in the middle of it. 
right in the middle of it, embracing our darkness and death so as to transform them into light and life. Do you see him? Do you see God in the middle of this? He's the one wearing the crown of thorns, arrayed in the purple cloak. He's the one struck savagely and mocked maliciously. He's the one who's condemned, cursed, and cast away. He's the one judged on the stone pavement, sentenced to slaughter. He's the one who hears his own people shout, we have no king but Caesar. He's the one nailed to a cross. God was personally there on that Friday in the person of Jesus. Now you'll recall that one of the reasons that the religious leaders gave for Jesus deserving death was that he made himself out to be the son of God and therefore equal with God. But my friends, he didn't simply make himself out to be the son of God. He is the son of God. He's the eternal son who was in the beginning even before there was a beginning. And as the son, he himself is fully God, begotten of the father who in time, came into the world as a human to give his life for the world. The world that had rejected him and that yet was still loved by him. Jesus is the son sent by the father to give his innocent life for the guilty. Sent by the father to offer up his life as the pure sacrifice that alone can cover and cleanse our sin-stained lives in order to set us free from our enslavement to death. On that dark Friday, God was there. God was there in Jesus, bearing our shame and scoffing rude. For in our place condemned he stood. Which means, as horrible as that Friday was, for our sake, it is good. For on that dark Friday, the goodness of our God The goodness of his forgiving and freeing grace, of his steadfast love and of his holy light shined most brightly in the darkness of Jesus' death, in his self-giving death for us. When we look at the marred, mangled, and murdered Jesus on the cross, what John the theologian wants us to see isn't mere gore, but glory. The very glory of God, the glory of his goodness and grace that willingly poured itself out completely even unto death. For according to John, God's glory is actually seen most clearly in the human being who offers himself to God so as to give himself to others and for others. And isn't that what God always intended? Isn't that what God intended when he purposed to create humanity, to have humans in his image, the image of God who himself eternally exists in a blissful state of boundless giving, the father giving himself fully to the son and the son fully giving himself to the father and all in the eternal giving of the spirit, humanity, us, we were created in the image of God, in the eternal image of God. His own image, an image of a giving God, which means you and I were not created to selfishly get, but to selflessly give, to give ourselves away 
If the glory of God is the glory of his self-giving love, then the glory of humanity is to receive and reflect that self-giving love in obediently offering ourselves to God and giving ourselves to others. But what human has ever done this? Well, according to John, there's only one human in all of human history that's perfectly revealed the glory of God's self-giving love. It's not Adam. It's not Father Abraham. It's not the great Moses. It's not King David. And it's certainly not us. No human has shined truly and fully with the glory of God save one, and that is Jesus Christ. Jesus is the true human being God always had in mind. The human who manifests the glory of God's self-giving love that stretches out so far that it embraces sinners, rebels, enemies, doing for them, for us, what we cannot do for ourselves. You see, when Pilate declares, behold the man, John is saying to us, he's right. Behold, the true human being, the human being who in love for his father willingly lays down his life for his enemies in order to make them friends. And along with these words, behold the man, John also wants us to hear the echo of another Friday, of the very first Friday, the sixth day of the creation week when God formed his greatest creation, human beings. On a Friday, God in the beginning declared, behold Humanity made in my image for the purpose of knowing and growing and showing my glory, the glory of my self-giving love. But as we know, and we all know it at some level, humanity failed to live up to God's glory. As the Apostle Paul says in Romans, all have fallen short of the glory of God. Rather than resting in and reflecting God's glory, humanity rejected it. We preferred our own self-getting glory to God's self-giving glory. But here's the thing, self-getting glory is no glory at all. Because the truth is, there is only one true and lasting glory, and it's the glory of of the all-glorious one. And therefore, when humanity turned away from him, we didn't soar to ever greater heights No, we plummeted into the the darkest depths of death, biological, relational, and most of all, spiritual death, the death of being separated from God's abundant life. But here's the wonder. Even in the depths, good news comes. Good news that says, although we turned away from God, God did not turn away from us. Although we rejected him, he hasn't rejected us even more. He hasn't rejected his eternal plan of having human beings shine with his glory. And we know this because he sent his beloved and eternal son who in time became a human to redeem humans. To redeem them by manifesting his self-giving love that willingly, voluntarily goes into our death in order to transform death itself into life. In the crucified Jesus, we see God's glory. That's why John writes at the beginning of the gospel, of his gospel, 
With the cross specifically in mind, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. Glory is that of the only Son full of grace and truth. We see the glory of God shining in the human face of Jesus. And in particular, we see it as Jesus wears the crowns of thorns that were meant for us. We see it as he's judged in our stead. We see it as he hangs in the place of the criminal for crimes that he didn't commit, but that we committed. We see it as he's rejected for our rejection. We see it when he declares, it is finished. For through his sacrificial death, he's finished off sin and death. In being judged, he's judged the world of sin and death. We see God's self-giving glory as he who is lifted up bows his head and gives over his spirit that we might receive the Holy Spirit, the one given by God who comes to remake our humanity in the image and likeness of Christ. In his death, Jesus has revealed the glory of God's self-giving love, love that goes to the greatest depths of our sin and death in order to raise us up to the heights of sharing in God's glorious life. Which means St. Augustine was right when he said, Jesus and the cross are the pulpit from which God proclaims his love. And on this night, we again behold his love as we behold the man upon the tree. For Adam, the first human, fell at a tree. Therefore, by a tree, we are saved by the second Adam, who himself is the true human, the human who was willingly cursed, not for his disobedience, but for our disobedience. He was cursed unto death that we might be blessed with life, the life of knowing and showing God's self-giving love. Christ took on flesh and was crucified in flesh that he might transform flesh so that we might take on his life-giving flesh in faith. On this night, we behold the crucified human who is also the crucified God, and in so doing, we behold our crucified king. Again, as a sort of spokesman for God, Pilate declares, Behold your king! Now, we're accustomed to thinking of kings as tyrants who live only for themselves, yet a true king doesn't live for himself. He lives for his people. He represents them and he rescues them. And on the cross, that's what the true king did. He fought the fight we couldn't fight. He suffered the judgment we deserve, for he, the king, became the criminal on the cross for us. And in so doing, he canceled our debts. He cleansed our sins because this king is also the Passover lamb. For when we hear Pilate declare, behold your king, we're to hear afresh John the Baptist declaring at the beginning of the gospel, behold the lamb who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus is the true human revealing the glory of God's self-giving love and his sacrificial death. Jesus is the true king representing us and rescuing us as he wears the crown of thorns 
as he hangs in the place we deserve, and as he drinks the sour wine of God's judgment, that we might taste and drink of the sweet wine of God's acceptance. Jesus is the true lamb, slaughtered that our sins might be passed over, not in judgment, but in forgiveness. Who Jesus is and what Jesus did, that's the goodness of that first Good Friday. It's the goodness we need this Friday and every day hereafter. The goodness of God's self-giving love and sacrificial glory that perpetually shines in the darkness. That shines from the cross, which has become the tree of life. Do you see it? Well, you can only as you plant yourself at the foot of the cross and behold him who gave himself for you and was judged for you. Yet again, in being judged, he himself judged the world, the world of sin and death. The cross of Christ then leaves humanity with only two options, life with the crucified and risen Christ or death with the crucified and remaining dead world. We either die with Christ, which is perpetual life, or we die with the world, which is perpetual death and nothing. Which will you choose? Well, to choose wisely, we must take our place next to John at the foot of the cross and see what he saw. We must behold Jesus. So I say to you this night, behold the spotless lamb upon the tree, slaughtered to forgive our sins thoroughly. Behold the perfect man upon the cross, restoring the glory that we had lost. Behold the king exalted on his wooden throne, reigning with the love that he has shown. Behold the immortal God born to die, Supplying incorruptible life to those who in death did lie. Behold your king. Behold the lamb. Behold your God. Amen.